Hello, and welcome to the Pathmic Psychiatry for Primary Care podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to today's talk on Abilify or Aeropiprazole. This is Whitney Landa, your education director and psychiatrist in the Palo Alto location. So Abilify is a fantastic medicine and one that's come up for me a lot in terms of questions I get asked by primary care doctors. It's a second generation antipsychotic, but it's different than most of the others. But it's actually one of my favorite to start because of those differences. It's a dopamine and serotonin receptor partial agonist. And what's really important about this is the dopamine piece. So theoretically, if the dopamine is high, it will decrease it. But if it's low, it will increase it. Um, and so it doesn't have this like intense blockage of the dopamine D2 receptors that we see in most of our second generation antipsychotics. It's FDA approved for schizophrenia, age 13 plus, and it actually has been shown to help both positive and negative symptoms. It is approved for acute mania or mixed mania, age 10 plus. It's approved for bipolar maintenance in adults. It's approved as an adjunct for depression. It's also approved for autism-related irritability, age 6+, and Tourette's, age 6+. It's also frequently used off-label because it has such a better side effect profile than most of the other SGAs. So we also use it in delirium as an adjunct in OCD and for aggression in kids. One of the reasons Abilify is one of my go-tos and a favorite is it has a very, very low risk of tardive dyskinesia because it's a partial agonist rather than a full antagonist. So it's technically still possible, but very, very low risk, um, especially compared to the others. So I use it a lot in kids for cold aggression. Cold aggression is when it's planned out and purposeful If it's impulsive aggression, then I might use it as well, but I'm going to look at other factors for that impulsive aggression or hot aggression. If I have high, moderate to severe depression that's not responding to other agents, I like to use it. Or if I even have a moderate depression where we've tried a lot of agents and there's a family history of bipolar disorder, definitely think about Abilify ticks that haven't responded to guanfacine, I like using Abilify over, you know, again, other agents that have the higher risk of tardive dyskinesia. I use it a lot in bipolar depression. I also use it if there's any reason to be concerned about the QTC interval, because Abilify actually shortens the QTC interval, unlike most of our medicines that increase it. It has a very long half-life, around 75 hours. So if someone's at risk of missing a dose or two here and there, it's a good choice. It's not a sedating medicine for most people. Some people do find it sedating, but most don't, and you can take it in the morning. It also can enhance sexual functioning. So it's great as an adjunct if people are having that side effect or if they've had that side effect to a lot of medicines and you have other reasons to use an SGA. Another thing I really like about Abilify is that it works fairly quickly. So with a lot of agitated depression, with anxiety, I often see benefit within that first week. 
and improvement on the other symptoms of depression within four weeks for most patients can take a little bit longer for some, but that's a lot faster than a lot of our other treatments. And if I'm using it for mania or psychosis, again, we can see impact on those positive symptoms within the first week. Before you start Abilify, you need to do a couple things, and this is the same for all SGAs. You're going to get their BMI. Ideally, you're going to get their waist circumference. I don't actually do that in my clinic, just different you know, reasons we don't tend to touch patients as much and logistics, but I ask them to be mindful of what size clothes they're wearing and how their clothes fit. I also ask about personal or family history of diabetes, obesity, and dyslipidemia, since those are all risk factors for them developing those problems on Abilify. And if they already have those things, I'm going to consider starting metformin when I start Abilify to block weight gain. So metformin 500 milligrams twice a day has really good evidence for this. If I already have a lot of those risk factors, I might just go ahead and start it immediately. But I often start it if there's more than a five pound weight gain. And I'll tell patients that up front. If you start to gain weight and it's quick and if it goes above five pounds, we're going to consider starting this agent. So you're going to let me know. After you start it, every visit, you're going to be looking at their BMI and their blood pressure, which you're going to do anyways in primary care. And then three months after starting, provided they don't have a lot of risk factors for diabetes, high triglycerides, things like that, then you're going to get their BMP, A1C, CBC, and fasting lipids. I do it again six months after that if everything looks okay. And then at that point, I'll go to a yearly check. If we're already worried about their white blood cell count, they've already got you know, borderline diabetes or diabetes, we might do those more frequently just to make sure that that goes okay. And I've definitely had Abilify worsen people's diabetes. And if it makes sense for other reasons to be on Abilify, I work with their endocrinologist or their primary care doctor, but it's definitely a risk. So you might say, okay, well, I get the, you know, the metabolic follow-up labs, but why the others? Um, it can also decrease the white blood cell count. And if you see the ANC go below 1,000, you're going to go ahead and stop the Abilify. You would see this through a lot of physical symptoms, but Abilify can also very, very, very rarely cause diabetic ketoacidosis. So if people start getting those symptoms on Abilify, obviously you're going to take that very seriously. More common side effects, dizziness, nausea, akathisia, and activation. And I specifically warn patients about akathisia and make sure they know that it's a physical feeling of restlessness, not emotional, because a lot of patients do have agitation or anxiety. So that's a good differentiation. And it also goes away when the medicine is stopped. It, like I said, it's has a very, very low incidence of tardive dyskinesia, but it's still possible. You should still consent for that. Um, though there's also a lot of studies saying it improves tardive dyskinesia if patients already have it. Very rarely, it can cause impulse control problems like gambling, reckless driving, uh, spending a lot of money. And so people might tell you that started after Abilify. I've never actually seen that in my practice. Usually people will say, oh, I read about that and I am shopping more. And I'll say, well, is it really out of character for you to shop like that? And it won't be. But it is definitely possible it's been seen, so watch out for that. 
And then you'll read that Abilify has a very low risk of weight gain. And compared to some of our other SGAs, it does have a lower risk. As Abilify has been on the market longer and longer, more and more studies have come out showing that it does actually have a risk for weight gain, less than some of our other SGAs, but you're still going to be on the lookout for it. You're still going to warn people about it. And it does make people hungrier and they eat more. So it's not sneaky like some of our others where their appetite stays the same, but they still seem to be gaining weight. They're eating more and they'll notice it. Um, And that's another reason to tell people, especially with all the telehealth we're doing now, to keep an eye on their clothing and how it fits. Because when I'm doing telehealth, I'm only seeing people's faces. And a lot of times they're gaining a lot of weight, but not in their face. So they might go up one or two clothing sizes, and I have no idea. So making sure they know ahead of time there's a potential for weight gain and they're keeping track of how their clothes fit is important. I've seen a lot of weight gain on Abilify, no matter what the marketing says. So let's talk about dosing. I'm only going to talk about the oral form of Abilify. There is intramuscular Abilify. If you find yourself wanting to use that, I encourage you to do an e-consult and we'll help you switch over to that form. But for the most part, you're going to be using the oral. So I like to start very, very low for the bulk of patients, unless there's some sort of urgency or psychosis that I'm going to be treating. I will start patients on one to two milligrams or even liquid if they tend to be sensitive to side effects. Abilify liquid, then you can go down to teeny, teeny, tiny little doses. I have a kid who's literally on 0.1 of Abilify and it helps enough that it's worth taking without causing a lot of side effects. Anything above that causes really nasty side effects for that kid. Again, if there's urgency, so psychosis or mania, or I've got a kid in my office who's tanking, like... They're getting really suicidal. They're starting to cut deeply. And I'm worried about, you know, another SSRI trial and the amount of time it's going to take for them to get any sort of help. I will absolutely start Abilify. And then I might start to do a little bit of a higher dose, depending on the age of the child. I would start somewhere between two and five. If it's an adult and the person's really tanking and hasn't been sensitive to medicine, I'm going to give them a five milligram tablet and tell them to take half for three to five days and then go straight up to five. And again, it's because I'm trying to avert, you know, a suicide attempt, a hospitalization, something bad happening. But otherwise, I like to take my time with Abilify because I find it can be a really excellent medicine at low doses. And because of that long half-life, it takes time for it to stabilize out and get to steady state. So if we're too aggressive with the dosing, people often end up on a little higher dose than they need and then they get more side effects. Also in young kids, another urgent thing that might make me escalate the dosing is aggression. If there's a lot of aggression and people are getting hurt, I'll absolutely push up that dose and pull back if needed. You know, I had a kid once you know, sent their two teachers to the emergency room. It was not ginger with that dosing. But normally, if it's a kid, I'm going to start at one or less. If we've got that level of aggression, I'm going to start even at five milligrams if they're a little bit of an older child. If we're changing from another SGA to Abilify, so if in a kid I'm going from Risperdal to Abilify, you want to start just a little bit of Abilify first and have a little bit of overlap and then taper off the other SGA, so taper off the Risperdal in this case, 
because in those cases, Abilify can be quite activating. And that makes sense, right? We're going from dopamine blockade to dopamine partial agonism. That's a tough switch for the brain. But if we're on Abilify and it's not working, say we've got a really aggressive kid and Abilify didn't do anything, and we're going to start Risperdal, we can just sort of start Risperdal and taper off the Abilify quickly. Obviously, if there was partial effect, we're going to go more slowly just to buffer that. But if Abilify really didn't do anything, we can come off it quickly to start the other one. And then once we're you know, at the correct dose, we want to be checking in on whether or not we still need the Abilify. So if someone has schizophrenia or bipolar 1 disorder, they're probably going to continue to need the Abilify. So we're really looking at monitoring those labs, making sure there's no side effects or negative outcomes. But in people who have depression, tics, kids with aggression, people with waxing and waning symptoms or things that might improve with a different medicine, I'm always thinking, do they still need this? And the reason I'm thinking that is because there is risk of extrapyramidal symptoms with Abilify. The highest risk is with akathisia, but there's still other risks too. There's risks of weight gain, risks of it affecting sugar processing, triglycerides. If people don't need Abilify, we don't want them to be on it. And so every once in a while I'll say, okay, you know, we had you on Abilify, but we also started some Lamictal. Let's try to taper that Abilify off now. Or a teen has stabilized. Let's try to pull that Abilify off. I also have some people where you know, they're going to need Abilify every winter because their depression gets much worse in the winter. But then we pull that Abilify right off once spring hits and their depression lightens a little bit and they're okay on their other medicines because those medicines have less long-term risk. So special populations, if people are on antihypertensive, it can enhance the effect of the antihypertensive, so you're going to watch their blood pressure. But the two big special populations for Abilify are around the black box warnings. So there is an increased risk of death in people with dementia. And I will use it in dementia, but again, it's always that risk benefit. If they're very delirious or their dementia is really bad and we need something to help with behavioral control or delirium. It's a great choice because it isn't sedating, which sometimes you don't want, and it doesn't lengthen the QTC. So in this population, it's a great one, but we're again going to look at the risk benefit. This black box warning is on any second generation antipsychotic, by the way. So if you need to use one, you're not minimizing the risk by choosing one over Abilify. And then it has the black box warning for kids and teens and those intrusive suicidal thoughts. And I go through that in detail in our SSRI podcast, Prozac, Zoloft, Lexapro. So if you want to know how to talk to families about the black box warning, regardless of the medicine, I encourage you to go listen to those podcasts. So to recap, Abilify is not a dopamine blocker, it's a partial agonist. So it has higher risk of akathisia, but lower risk of tardive dyskinesia. And akathisia goes away if you stop the medicine. Tardive dyskinesia does not always. So it tends to be my go-to if I'm looking for a second generation. It's very different than most other SGAs. Recently, a medication called Brexipiprazole, or brand Rexulti, was released, and it has a similar mechanism of action to Abilify. 
That's my preference if Abilify works well but has side effects, is I like to switch to Rexulti if insurance will allow. And I really encourage you to put Abilify in your toolkit and to develop some comfort with its use. The most common scenarios that I get asked about in the education director role are, what if it's bipolar disorder and this patient is doing so badly, I'm so worried about them, there's no imminent risk, so I can't place them on a 5150 or send them to the hospital for that to be done, but I need to do something while they wait for IOP. Abilify is often a great choice in these situations, and compared to many of our medicines that work more quickly and have a potent effect more quickly, it really does have a favorable side effect profile. I know we talked about a lot of nasty things to look out for, but compared to the other SGAs and a lot of other things like lithium or Depakote, it is actually a much more easy-to-manage medication. So I encourage you to start using it and to develop some comfort with it. I hope everyone here has a great day, and if you're listening to this on the day it's released, a great three-day weekend. Happy Memorial Day. Thank you.